Hello and welcome to the very 131st episode of the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast, a podcast about games, games, ooh, the wonderful games. On this podcast, we're going to be talking about the game that is Fayum, a Freeman Freezer special, if you will. And we are going to be joined on this journey. I say we are going to be joined. We are the journey and we are the joined by... Ava Foxfort. What? And Matthew Lees. Where am I? It's time to get into the portal and talk all about the game that is Fayum. Fayum. <laughs> That's the name of the portal, mate. So, for those of you not familiar, Friedman Fries is a eccentric designer within the world of board games, and that's kind of saying something, because there's a few eccentric creators within the world of board games. All of his games start with the letter F, and they are all green, largely, and in real life, IRL, he has green hair. So it's kind of like a, a motif that runs through the man and the man's games, like he and his games are both one gigantic stick of rock. Um, Friedman Fries, FF, all the games, Fs, everything green. It's, it's, it's not as much of a limitation as you'd expect. The most recent game that we played of his, it's probably the most recent releases, right, right, Fyam? or almost the most recent release. Yeah, I think so. Is a fabulous thing. I think we've, we've all really enjoyed it. And I know we're just going to, I'm going to kind of throw you under the fun bus here, Ava, and the fact that before we started recording, you were a little bit concerned about talking about this because you felt like you had the need to caveat who maybe this wasn't for before we wax lyrical on it. So maybe do you want to do the unusual thing of jumping into a pool of caveats first? Well, I mean, it's it's interesting because that's actually the opposite of what you do in the game where like the very initial part of the teach for this game is like super straightforward and just like, okay, this, this is the thing. Everything's going to be shared. This is a board. There's crocodiles, which mean you've got to get rid of those crocodiles by draining the swamps. Nothing belongs to you. Everything belongs to the pharaoh. You're trying to get reputation by building things. And that's the game, right? So I think we should probably just make clear exactly what this looks like on the table in a way to help people get a sense. You have a whole bunch of hexagons representative of this patch of Egypt, and you have some sandy bits, some rocky bits, and a big old river running through the middle of it, which you cannot cross without using the single bridge or making more bridges later, but basically don't worry about that. Now, the nature of it is that you can only build new things in spaces that are adjacent to one of the people who are already on the board, but the people aren't owned by anybody, which is probably a good thing in the, the grand scheme of things. And also people are going to be taken off the board. They're not always going to be there, which means your access to everything is going to be dependent on what other people are doing. And generally, workers are going to flow out across the board in some directions and then pull back and go into others and crucially something i've not mentioned already is this whole board at the start of it most of it is covered in tiny green crocodiles which i am a <laughs> huge fan of if you go somewhere that hasn't been gone to and it got a crocodile then you get a point for presumably befriending that crocodile and taking them home actually get a uh, money for befriending the crocodiles and doing various other things and guess what money can be exchanged for it's 
cards because Fyam is like sort of a deck builder, hand builder game where players are going to be accruing all kinds of cards that let them do all of these actions that we've been talking about. You might get a farmer card that'll get you resources if you put a worker down or you might get a card that lets you gather wild resources or a card that will score you points for building towns or let you rearrange your deck or that let you build bridges or do trades and gosh there's so much variety in these cards that turns this very plain looking game into something that's like way more exciting so yeah it's 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 a deeply kind of beige if not for the green um crocodiles not a very attractive thing very bare bones but initially just looks like a very simple worker placement game until you get to the rub of the fact that yep nobody owns any of the people being put on the board nobody owns any of the buildings being put on the board and everything is going to be in flux and you're going to be trying to make use of the things that are currently on the board, but not necessarily things that you've done, which is an odd one. It's nice. And it's got that Concordia-like feel of like basically most of the actions you take are expanding the options for everyone else. Like whatever you are doing, you are certainly you're changing the board state in a way that means that some options are cut off for other people and some options are being made for people. Because if you place workers in a certain place, that means you can place workers next to them. If you build a settlement, people can do put workers on the settlements to take actions that are related to that. As you expand and grow things, everyone does actually build together and actually connect stuff in a way that that helps each other out. And it certainly changes the field every time. And look, we say worker placement, but like you're putting workers onto those spaces that allow you to do certain things, but they allow you to do certain things on the basis not of what is on that space entirely, but in terms of what cards you've got in your hand that you're able to use to interact with that. I do have a bit of a caveat in that I've tried a game of this with five players and I don't think it works as five players because individually you can't plan your turn and secondly like everything on the board belongs to the pharaoh so you're basically building like ancient Egyptian infrastructure you're building settlements you're building roads you're building routes and pathways across the thing and there's incentives to try and make those join up and actually create a little network but the incentives are often like actually leaving them on the table for someone else to do. And I played with five players who I usually play 18xx games with, uh, which I think makes everyone like a little bit more mercenary. But with five players, the odds of you being the one to benefit from something that you do become so small that people really, really didn't work towards actually building a sensible thing. And we made this horrible, ridiculous board that, like, the pharaoh would have been really angry at us <laughs> for building, <laughs> like, just little dead ends everywhere. Like, why have you what done What have you done? <laughs> oh, come on. This pyramid's shaped like a chocolate orange. A sphere. I don't know why I said a chocolate orange. They haven't been invented yet and will not be for a long time. I think it's just called an orange, sir. <laughs> Shut up! <laughs> Don't call me, sir. I'm not sure we've established that form of hierarchy yet. This is anachronistic and confusing. Let's stop. There's there's definitely a thing where, because of the way that the game works, because of that market, and because of the cards being so interesting and so unique, 
asymmetry happens straight away. Like you decide very early on, or at least sort of maybe a quarter way through the game, you're deciding on what your thing is that game. Like, what are you the person that does this game? Are you the person that gets roses, which are like a wild resource you can spend them for anything? Are you the person that only uses roses for your resources? Are you the person that can take cards from the market without having to pay for them? Are you the person who's got a really good control of your deck? Are you the person that builds the monuments? Are you the person that wants to invite the pharaoh to town? Like, everyone can have their own way of approaching the game that in, I think, a small player count means you've got this lovely feeling of all these cogs kind of meshing nicely together sometimes, but then a little bit of friction when those roles start to overlap. And, you know, we were talking earlier about how there's a Concordia element to this game. I found it strangely... I, I just had it kind of wash into my head when we were playing it. I was like, this reminds me of Concordia, and yet it's not really like Concordia. Um, <laughs> it has the same uh, system of you buying these cards and then going through your deck and then being rewarded for going a long way through your deck and then picking them all back up at once and getting some extra cash for no, doing no, that. No, 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 no. You don't pick them all up at once. You're missing You're missing the biggest, cheekiest wrinkle of the game. No, oh no, no, no. You oh, gosh. I've ironed out the cheekiest wrinkle. I apologize. <laughs> and actually, I, I worked that wrinkle pretty well when I was playing, so you I can't did. believe I've forgotten that. Go ahead, please, please. Right, so when you have used as many cards, ideally you want to use all of your cards. You get a little bonus if you use all of your cards. You get to do a turn that sounds boring, but is actually great, which is called administration. Oh, that's oh. a well-labeled phase. <laughs> and the key with administration is you 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 get you get a little bit of money, you take some workers off the board for a little bit of extra money, then you take back three cards from the top of your discard pile, so the last three cards that you played. You can then draw as many more cards as you like from your discard pile except you have to pay for them. You pay for them. I got it so wrong. Yeah, no, and it, it's such a it makes you think about what you're doing in a way that I've like not really seen in any other game because when you've got a big set of cards in front of you, your instinct, like every instinct is right, I want to do the coolest, most powerful thing straight away. And quite often that's the opposite of what you want to do. What you want to do is you want to use your least powerful card so that it's tucked away at the bottom of the deck and you don't have to think about it again. And like you've constantly got this little temptation of, oh, but you could take one or two more cards and then you'd be able to do a little bit more. But that's often like the worst thing you can do because you end up minimizing the power of the most powerful things in your deck because you're still filtering through them every single time it's such a weird shift on the standard deck building like removing cards from your deck is important because it's now like every time you're playing a card you're actually shifting your capacity for the rest of the game in a way that is fascinating yeah <laughs> and you've also got a lot of options in terms of how you are manipulating that discard pile which is interesting yes you do still have the capacity to take things out of the game completely and just put them in a bin but you also have the capacity to put cards to the bottom of your discard pile which may effectively be the same if not similar i had a really enjoyable flow in the game we played where i had the ability to get rid of cards and i was doing that but I had a card I knew I might want to use later. And so I purposefully put it to the bottom. And then having that knowledge of going, okay, well, look, I'm going to dig down this many this turn and then pull these out. And then I'm going to put these ones to the back. And it started to be this thing of initially putting stuff just at the bottom of my discard pile was a way of being like, goodbye, don't want to see you again. <laughs> but as it went on, the more I did it, it became a mechanic for gradually 
pushing things that I'd put to the deepest, darkest bin up to the surface again. And knowing that it's like, oh, this is great because this round I'm going to put these two to the back. And then it means that that thing that I put at the back four turns ago is going to be at the top again, which means I can use it once more. And that's just such a cool thing of having a kind of deck buildery game where you think, you know what? This card is not as useful anymore. But rather than having that binary decision of going, well, do I want to bin it or keep it? It's like, no, I want to like temporarily bin it so I can use it one more time in like <laughs> two or three turns from now. And then I'm going to bin it. But it's also like, it's worth noting that that, that option is something that was only available to you. And I've never seen anyone else use those cards in the way that you were using them during that game. Like I've played this a few times and nobody else has spotted that combo and tried to use it in that way. So you were playing a very different game to everyone else at the table on that front. And like, actually that ends up happening to some extent to more or less of an extent every time you play and, and every person at the table in a way that is, yeah, it's surprising and, and weird and exciting. I think there's definitely a way you can play the game in a sort of very standard manner. Like both times that I've played, I think I've played twice, maybe three times that I've played Fayum, the game is just, I'm going to build settlements. I've played it like Catan. <laughs> I've been like, I'm going to place little towns on good spots and get resources and then spend those resources to make more towns and roads to connect them. Like that's how I've played the game and I've tried, tried to play it as efficiently as possible. But there's almost not enough room for everyone to do that based on those cards and, and the scarcity of duplicates in the deck. So it means that everyone has to be pushed in a different direction, has to approach it completely differently. And it necessitates finding your little combo, your little thing that you're going to do really well in a really lovely way. And I think that's even something we haven't talked about is how crazy the cards get towards the end of the game hmm. um like typically the way that the game will pan out is that because it's using the same sort of market system as in power grid you'll have these cards coming out in number order and it'll mean that you start there's a little ramp where you start with the low number cards and they tend to get higher and higher throughout the game that's not to mean that occasionally a high number card will like wriggle its way into the market in a very unique and bizarre way but generally that's how it happens but those late game cards will be all about scoring you tons and tons of points. Previously, you might be getting one or two points here and there. But at the end, you're trying to rake in heaps and heaps from building these massive projects or having these projects sort of come to roost. But because anyone can buy those, I found myself working for the entire game to build this nice network of settlements and towns to get me points. And then someone could have easily have just bought the card that gets you points for that at the end instead of me. And then just absolutely like taken all that hard work and put it into their pockets. <laughs> and that creates like a weird almost semi-cooperative element to it in that like actually because you know that you might not get the card that you want to score things. If you know the game well you do actually want to make sure that there's a fair few of those cards at the end that are tempting and appealing. Like, and it does it does mean that you start actually wanting to do things how the Pharaoh would want them so that you have got enough settlements on the middle that the the canal fest is actually a good a good <laughs> idea. Or that you've got enough interconnected stuff that we're dropping the Pharaoh on a town or that the network is big enough for the harvest festival i've just remembered my favorite thing about this game which is the fact that whilst it's set in ancient egypt like all of the cards and things that pop up like 
feel like they've just been pulled straight out of any German game. It's just like, <laughs> it's the Harvest Festival. It's this. And I mean, you know, I, I'm actually not an ancient history buff at all. And I apologize if all of this stuff is actually also a part of ancient Egypt. But it just felt, maybe it helped the fact that we were playing it in German, I believe. Or had the option yeah. of German alongside the English. It, it felt very much like at any point we might have Oktoberfest popping up as uh, <laughs> <laughs> as an event that could could be on a, on a card. I I really you know Concordia I, I've got a lot of love for not as much love as Quinn's has because I don't think anyone has as much love for that game as Quinn's has. But <laughs> really, when you're buying cards from the shops, it's just a case of well, here's some cards that let you do things that aren't in your initial deck, and then here's some cards that let you do things that are on your deck but better. And then it just sort of slowly escalates in that fashion. And there are some interesting things that pop up, but mostly there's nothing in that deck which is truly shocking, I don't think, mm. um, the first time you play through it. Whereas in this, that's not the case. It had that lovely pull, a bit similar actually to a game I reviewed very recently, Oceans, which has the deep cards which allow you to mutate your fish with strange powers that let you just turn them into really odd, powerful creatures. And it's having the temptation between I need to build a good engine versus I just want that because it's fun. Like I had a card in Fium that just let me steal things from the shop without paying for them. And I didn't really need it for my engine. And maybe it actually made my engine a little bit worse, but I kind of had to take it because it was too fun <laughs> not to. And that's that's for me a sweet spot um, when I'm playing any game really is, is making bad decisions because they're fun. Um, any game that lets me do that um, is is good in my books to your point earlier a lot of people were saying the fact that the the sort of the catch-all for this game was people were saying that it's uh like if splotter made concordia it's this deeply strange game but i think we've just had too much fun talking about it and i want to bring it down a notch and be like <laughs> return to the fact that sure this game is really interesting and really cool but it is so not like it is deeply flawed like all of these cards, sure, oh, they're lovely and they have loads of wild powers. But yes, you do have to look all of them up in this big glossary. And these cards all have their own little pedantic like kind of paragraph or multi-paragraph section of the rules. Which means that when you're teaching this game, you are teaching the entire time that you are playing. Like there's, there's a brief teach at the beginning that would normally be enough to explain an entire game. But then every single time a new card is drawn, you need to explain that card enough that uh, people can decide whether they want to buy it or not. You don't necessarily need to explain every card because actually a lot of the cards aren't going to be picked by people and half the deck isn't going to even be in the game effectively. Mm. But people need to know whether they want it and that means they need to know enough about it and actually the line between whether you know enough about it or not enough about it is basically like, well, actually, I've just got to read these two paragraphs to you. And what this means, like, so there's two sides to that that are frustrating. Like, firstly, like, when you are teaching this game, you are, like, on edge the entire time because you are having to guide people through every single moment of it or photocopy the entire manual and give a copy to each one and just say look i'm sorry you're on your own we're just gonna have to do this but also the the, the flip side of this is that when you are learning this game it doesn't stop like you're just getting your head around what you need to do and there is some unintuitive and there's some strange and unusual things and no strange and unusual things I think are brilliant. I want to actually say that. I I love this game. But when you're learning it, you 
start learning it and just as you're about to understand it not quite when you've understood everything something new happens and it's like right now you need to learn how to use this and then it's like and then it happens again and again and again until the very end of the game and then it's suddenly like oh there's a load of end game things it's like uh, uh, what even more oh all of these cards sure are oh, they're lovely and they have loads of wild powers but yes you do have to look all of them up in this big glossary and the iconography is hideous and the rule book like i make little google doc like little google doc summaries of each game when i teach them this one was so short my google doc was really really short with the caveat that the game is the cards you're so right that you have to teach it the entire time and the rule book is really frustrating and the game is like definitively ugly like i don't think it's ugly like i think it's i think it's got a nice charm to it but it is definitely also ugly like if you've got a robot that can detect ugly to detect ugly on this game they'd be like that is absolutely grim like that is what they would say about this game i don't know it works though it works on the table you've got so many lovely little bits of wood and you're like stacking them together in slightly interesting ways to turn a town into a city you give it a little tower and you've got little l-shaped workshops and if you you can expand it with a little extra box that gives it like a little chimney so it ends up looking surprisingly photogenic for something that is initially like her it's very beige but i like the crocodiles and actually and that is a nice thing about it is there's already a load of wood on the board so even before you've started building stuff there's loads of lovely crocodiles on there so it's not as ugly as it should be but (laughs) yeah i feel like i gotta stand up for a few things that tom said there in regards to like (laughs) the iconography in the game is not bad it's just not pretty like the iconography is is, oh no i think it's hang of it I, I think, think it's, it's bad. That bad. I, I think that when you look at some of the late game cards and the scoring and how they work, you you can't. I think even like four or five games in, you would still be looking at those late game cards and being like, "Oh, and how exactly does that score?" Like in the game that Ava and oh, I yeah, yeah. played in the in the second game that we played, um, we thought I felt like we weren't checking the glossary as much because we were going, "Oh right, yeah, we we understand the iconography," and that led to like the last few turns being this horrible maths puzzle because we realised that I'd been using a card completely wrong. But if you looked at the iconography, you'd be like, "That's a fair interpretation of those little symbols." <laughs> yeah, and there are two cards that have like similar things that have like a very slight difference between what is represented, and you won't really know that it's entirely different unless you notice the one word in the uh paragraph of explanation in the glossary and actually read the diagram to make sure that you have understood it properly and like that is a lot of steps to stop you from doing something and we you'd done you'd activated that thing like four times which meant that we led (laughs) to that game being a complete wash because we weren't sure whether i had won that game by six points or lost that games by 44 points <laughs> and it's like you shouldn't be able to not you know, tell whether that's happened it's difficult um, to stop tom from cheating is, is the main thing i hear <laughs> um and i i appreciate that and it's difficult I, I think just to play like you know just to play friedman's advocate here i think that there's there's degrees of usage with iconography and it's it's it seems unfair to like to to look at this and be like the iconography and this is not good enough when the scope of things that these cards are doing is so much broader and stranger than like 90 percent of other games so i agree that it's like it's very basic and potentially like it just the iconography was just not a good idea you should have just had writing on them instead of iconography 
but it's a much more difficult task. And it's like in the same way that, you know, to think about, to make it Egyptian, think about hieroglyphics, right? Get two cats is probably going to be quite easy to do with, with hieroglyphics, but it's like count the number of cats adjacent to river squares and then times them by the number of like, you know, uh, town settlements in vineyards, which is something that like, you know, potentially could be a, a scoring card in this. You're not going to be able to do that very well. I don't think it's as bad as it looks. And the problem is that you need someone who knows those game, the, the game inside out in order to be able to teach it reliably. You are probably going to mess up a couple of rules in a game. Um, and that could completely wildly change the score. Um, I've had some really, really tight games of this. And that's really, that's really nice and exciting. But it's like, I don't know, there's there's this thing as well like it recommends in the manual that you show everybody the end game cards um so that people know roughly what they're going for but it's also like Mm. you don't know whether those are going to come out and you're then explaining even more stuff at the beginning of the game before people have even got like the basics of it and in a way it's okay because you actually do get to keep that deck separate so you could show them about halfway through the game and that kind of makes things a little bit more fair yeah i feel like i mean I think if you're playing with the sorts of people who want every game to be a fair rub from the first game, but I think if a game is interesting enough and it's the equivalent of going for a swim in the sea before you learn to surf, you know, yeah, it's like, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's interesting and choppy enough that it's like, let's just get bashed about by this a little bit and then maybe go back to it again with an aim to master it. And also yeah. talking about this being like categorically unattractive and ugly, like I can't disagree with that. Tom. I really can't. Um, as, as somebody who's been the kind of, uh iron fist of graphic design and visual design on the website for a long time is so ugly um it's so basic and horrid but at the same time there's this bizarre thing that seems to be happening to me and i think quinn's has had the same thing after years and years of us seeing games from 10 years ago that looked like this and being like can't you make games more attractive there's a specific sort of overly ambitious shonky euro game that involves you placing bits little bits of wood on on boards that look like they've been drawn in ms paint that is so comforting and nice (laughs) right right that's the thing is that that's why i like i think it is like this is it's it's the duality two wolves are inside me matt one of them says fium is categorically ugly and one of them says Oh, Fium's quite a nice looking game, really. It's perfect. <laughs> yeah, right. But it's not fair, though, because I don't understand how this system works. Because I look at this and I'm like, yep, this is fine. This this doesn't need to be any more pretty than this. But then I think about a game like Lignum, which was uh, a game about getting wood, turning wood into other types of better wood. Like, basically, like everything you can think about involving in cut from cutting down a tree to making a plank of wood. It was a Euro game about that process um, in quite a lot of detail. So ugly. And for me, it's like if this had a kind of richness to it, if this had the same richness of art that led you to this luxurious sense of creating beautiful bits of crafted wood, for me, it could be an absolute classic. I could love it. But as it was, I looked at that and I'm like, this is, this is ugly <laughs> and I can't forgive it. Whereas it just seems so unfair to me that it's like, it feels like a, a toss of the coin until I work out how this system works that my brain's devised of going, <laughs> this is ugly and cannot be admitted into, into heaven. Whereas this, yeah, it's, it's awful, but I love it. 
I think it's just charming. Charming might be the right word. It's not how you would like design something to be perfect, but it's how you would design something to be like clear and expressive and just to actually partly it's that it wants the boards to kind of fade into the background a little bit so that you're focusing on the bits that you're putting onto them, which are just like simple little bits of wood, not a whole lot of colour there, but it it leaves the room for those to really pop and like come off there and be like, right, we are building this stuff. Some of which are disappointing. I think the little tiny blocks of brown that you put together to build a pyramid, like the pyramid is so tiny. Oh, it isn't, aren't they actually referred to as different kinds of monument in the rule book? Yes. So the two on top of each other is an obelisk. The three in a little like triangle is a colossus. Uh, not but not at like the edge of the harbour like you'd expect it to be and then the the ones that are four on the bottom and one in the top are a pyramid which is like you know if i'm building a pyramid out of my pieces in a game where because i'm bored and waiting for my turn that is what i make a pyramid look like but <laughs> they could have put like a tiny bit of extra effort into that but there's a lot of wood in the box it's really nice it ends up looking surprisingly clear which is what you want for a game yeah. where you're going to spend a lot of time staring at the cards in your hand and looking at how you can make them play off the board um and i think that 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 helps it's a canvas for cubes and crocodiles isn't it really and i like that no this is a game that i'm very fond of i think it may be my favorite freeman freeze game that i've personally played mm. but i completely agree that it's kind of just strange and esoteric and fiddly in a way that you only really would play this with people who are also satisfied with exploration of mechanics, I think, when playing. Yeah. If what we've been talking about excites you, the odds are you're going to really, really like this game. I would say that fairly, fairly clearly. Like, if you haven't been put off by the idea that it's overwhelming to teach, overwhelming to learn, there's lots of fiddly details, and you're going to have to be checking the rule book fairly consistently. If none of those things, if those things appeal to you, basically, <laughs> then you are going to love this. And like, you know, I'm Queen Fiddle. It does appeal to me, like that sort of like getting to explore a totally new network. And the other thing is like, I've played this a, a, a reasonable number of times now with quite a varied mix of people and every game's been really, really different. I've played different games and the way the board has ended looking and how people are exploiting that and how, yeah, where people are has been really different every time. And I don't know whether it's got yonks of longevity. Like it's kind of got a similar thing where like, I really, really, really love Le Havre. But I'm always slightly worried that actually because the same cards are coming out every single game, they come out in a slightly different order, uh, but the same things are all that's available with like a couple of bonus cards in there. Um, I worry that this might, you might run this out after a while. And that's a bit of a temptation. One thing we should mention as well, I haven't had a chance to try it. And if I end up doing a review of it, I will try it so that I can say to people, there is a solo mode. And I think it actually looks quite interesting. To learn the game, I played a little bit of it solo in TTS, which is maybe the lowest point for me of the year. Um, but it was, I've got to say, compelling is maybe the right word. Because yeah. the score that it wants you to get is pretty high. And also, when you do all of those different disparate asymmetrical things in the game, it becomes very different you're you are the pharaoh you are not the pharaoh's advisors you have control over all of the land and you're in charge of building everything and the power just goes to your head and you end up completely you know, ruining your deck but it does definitely have a pull to it that i think 
other games that can be played solo haven't had for me like i've not gone oh yeah i fancy giving that a go solo fayum i was like oh yeah i can try that out even in tts which is saying something so there's two things that are interesting about the solo game the first one is that it gives you the option of doing a campaign where you've got like a target of points for the first game and once you've hit that you then unlock a special ability that makes the game easier, but then you've got a selection of different targets that you're trying to hit. And each time you hit a target, you get a new ability and you get to choose which one of those you've got. You've actually got like a weird extended campaign thing in with quite <laughs> mm. a small amount of rules. That's really fruity. And the other thing is the changes to admin. So this thing where you're buying cards from your deck. So you get the first three cards for free and then anything after that costs a coin. Well, let me tell you, in the solo game, the first card costs you one coin, the second card costs you two coin, oh. the third card costs you three coin. And that, that, oh God, that's such a huge amount of friction to add into a game to like really, really make you think and concentrate and pay attention. Mm. And that sounds like, oh, it's quite up my street. I'm excited to hear some thoughts. Fam, son. Well, that's the end of the podcast. Uh, how long have you been sitting on that one? Not at all, actually. It just popped into my head immediately, uh, which is uh, both a blessing and curse of my brain. Anyway, um, that's about all we've got time for with this episode of the podcast. We will be back next week with another, you guessed it, episode of the podcast. It's February now, almost two months of having the podcast every week. I hope that everyone is enjoying having it weekly as we're enjoying doing it weekly. If you are, then there's a bunch of things you could do, actually, that'd be really lovely. You could go and give us a little review on whatever platform that you subscribe to this podcast. Give it a like, give it a star, give it whatever social medium currency exists wherever you exist. Or you could maybe tell somebody who's close to you who also likes board games to give it a listen. Do whatever you like. It's your life. Anyway, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time. Goodbye. 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 Goodbye.